0: Good morning, it's good to gather here on this Sunday and uh, we're going to start with actually the scripture reading, um, the, the text that Kristen will read, will, we're eventually going to get there so that's later in the sermon but uh, Kristen, I want to kind of bookend, this is kind of where we're going, so thanks Kristen. Um, our scripture is from 1 John uh, 4, 7 through 12, dear friends, let us love one another Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. So uh, yeah, this morning, we we have much, much to cover. And uh, just so that you know that we are going somewhere, I have a list um, this is where we're going to end up at communion, okay? <laughs> we have a, a number of things to go through uh, before we get there. And so this is kind of, I just want to prove that this is not, <laughs> it's been systematically thought through, <laughs> uh, and there's a lot to cover here, and uh, it does involve magic. So we're going to have that in just a second. Um, but before we even get started, I want to ask you for something this morning. I need to ask of you, invite you uh, to give me something, Okay. Um, I've been blessed to have many, many experiences in uh, different Christian environments, Christian churches, so on and so forth. Uh, Catholic to begin, okay? Catholic to begin, then various Protestant places, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational, evangelical, uh, charismatic, emergent, contemplative ways of being um, uh, in the world. And now an Anabaptist, Mennonite uh, kind of thing. So the journey has been windy and eclectic and crazy. Uh, and I find it indes- interesting how communion, how the Eucharist, how the table is, uh, is often approached and shared within these different places, within these different contexts. Okay? Here at, at Metamore Mennonite, in my short experience here thus far, we've had this uh, sacrament, this practice of communion, uh, both here in this space, with a certain often repeated liturgy here, uh, we celebrate this together. And we've also had a communion table fellowship together downstairs in, in the form of a breakfast communion, uh, which we're actually going to have in two weeks when John comes back from his sabbatical. I'm very excited about that. So we're heading towards communion this morning. Okay? That's where we're going. But um, how we will get there is going to be a little different for sure. Okay? So what I need to ask of you this morning the thing that I'm inviting you to give me is um, I just need a whole bunch of this this morning. I need to hold this umbrella of grace for I want you to shower it this direction <laughs> as, uh, as I share this morning. Because, again, um, what, how we proceed will be a bit nuanced. Um, and uh, all of us will, will need to hold the diverse ways of how we celebrate how we approach the communion table. Okay, so I need your grace this morning. I'm not going to hold this the whole time, for that would be—is this like bad luck? It, uh, have it. Did 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 anyone gasp when I did this? Okay, all right. Well, so I need your grace this morning. Can, so can I have that? Will you give that to me? Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so my hope is that a different way to look at Christ's life, death, and resurrection will spark something in you, uh, perhaps challenge you or encourage you in some way. So are you ready for the journey to go through this list? I was introduced to this way of thinking about Christ's atonement, his life, death, and resurrection, uh, through this philosopher, Irish philosopher, no less, Peter Rollins, who is a Christian and invites people to, uh, to a radical way of following Jesus, all right? Um, yeah, a radical way of being in an engagement with the world. A very incarnational, a very embodied approach, an embodied way of being. So, with that said, let's do some magic. All right? who's Who likes magic? Anyone? Anyone think it's kind of hokey? All right, so uh, any students in here that want to come forward? That's great, even if I just have one or two. That's good. I got to step over here to the. Um, where, yeah, so, all right, Dax and to come up. Perfect, perfect. So I hold, uh, and you guys can like sort of stand or sit here. And so I hold in my hand this coin. Happens to be a nickel. Okay, you guys can come a little closer. And I'm going to make this nickel, this coin disappear before your very eyes, before your very eyes, okay, all right? So, and the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to rub this coin so hard into my elbow it's going to disappear, okay? You guys, so this is this is the coin, right? This is for later. This is called the pledge, okay? And when it disappears, that will be called the turn. We don't need to go to that slide yet. So um, coin right here, I'm going to, okay, you guys ready? You think I can do it? You yeah. don't, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is my first magic show, <laughs> so it might not happen. So anyway, so I want to, I want to, here I'm gonna start. It's a good thing my kids didn't come forward. They know this trick. So, um, <laughs> right here. So, gonna if I do it fast enough, hard enough. Oh, it didn't, it didn't work. Okay. So maybe sometimes I gotta kind of rub it on the table here. Go faster, harder. Still, <laughs> still didn't work. Man, this is this is difficult. This is difficult. This is difficult. If I do it harder. What? Is it? It's disappeared right before your eyes. <laughs> These guys are quick. It is. It's back here. It's right here. So <laughs> this didn't work at all. All right. So um, let's just go to the business meeting. <laughs> like All right, so that's the turn. The turn is the disappearance. And then, like, where did it go? And then I'd invite you, Dax. Could you uh lift up the cup over here um, and what do you see here? <gasps> it's reappeared right before your eyes, so that's the that's the prestige, okay, so like you get the turn, the disappearance, and then but this isn't the same coin, obviously, it's slightly different. Let's hear it for our audience, <laughs> not for the magician, so yes, it's good, all right, so things you know you try things and they don't. <laughs> Sometimes they don't go so great. I need to practice that. It fooled my kids, so I don't know um, what that means. But Okay, thank you, Dax and Delaney. (laughs) So uh, any good magic uh, trick where there's a disappearance would have these three elements. The pledge, the presentation of the object, the coin, the rabbit, the person from the crowd that is going to disappear, okay? Uh, Then the turn, and this is the disappearance of that object. It vanishes. Uh, and there is a void, and then the prestige, and this is the return of the object, the reappearance of the object, but a slightly different form, so usually there's a second coin, or there's a second rabbit, right, it's usually not the same one, so um, now this morning, I want to use these elements of the magic trick as a metaphor for what happens at the communion table, like what, (laughs) for what happens at the communion table. Um, and what happens as well with the Christ, Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So, uh, so let's proceed to the pledge, the coin, the rabbit, the object. Today, this sacred object is going to just think of the bread and the cup, the bread and the cup, okay? Um, this is the pledge, this is the object. In the Catholic tradition, the Eucharist has, uh, has a doctrine of what they call transubstantiation, I don't know if you've heard this before, but in the Catholic tradition, Roman Catholic Church, this is a change in the substance, substance or essence by which the bread and the wine offered in the sacrament of the Eucharist during Mass literally become, in reality become, the body and the blood of Jesus. Uh, as an altar boy growing up, uh, when the priest said, this is my body, and he would hold it up, or this is my blood, and he would hold it up, the altar boy's charge was to ring the bell. This is the moment of transubstantiation within the Catholic tradition. So the bread in the cup today, okay, uh, will be the object. It's the, it's the, it's the pledge. It's the thing that we see right here. It's the pledge. All right. Uh, but the cup in the table all the, the cup will also the bread and the cup will also represent Christianity. So what is this thing called Christianity? Well to start off, it offers a system of belief. Christianity a system of belief a worldview, a way of seeing uh, what's happening around us. Uh, the term is used to describe often a tribal identity. We're Christians, that's our tribe. Uh, it represents shared traditions, all right, and uh, a shared history. Uh, in summary, it can be uh, a concrete way of understanding the world and our place within that world, Christianity, all right. This is all fine and dandy, but the Christ event the life, the death, and the resurrection found within Christianity um, uh, perhaps isn't, isn't meant to be, uh, simply be an intellectual position uh, where, regarding how we view the world, but rather a way of immersing ourselves into the world, okay? uh, how we immerse ourselves into the world. So for more on this pledge, uh, we're going to go to Adam and Eve. And let's go to the beginning. Let's go to the garden. All right? So Adam in the garden. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the, uh, the man, you are free to eat from the tree, uh, uh, any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You will certainly die. We as human beings, okay, we we are built with this hunger. We are built with the reality that we need and that we also desire food. We need food. Here Adam is gifted with all kinds of food. You can eat any of it. It's all yours. Except for this normal, mundane piece of fruit hanging from a specific tree in the garden. Um, you can eat anything out there in this bountiful place, but you cannot eat this. God has uh, prohibited the eating of, the, of this fruit. You must not eat. So when this happens, what do you suppose this prohibition does to Adam? Well, in a mysterious sort of way, um, it most likely in, might increase his desire for that fruit, the prohibition, okay? If it's forbidden by God, in Adam's mind, the normal, ordinary piece of fruit now has a special importance, now has a special significance. In the prohibition, um, a strong attachment to that object is birth. Because you can't have it, there's an attachment, all right? Um, there's an attachment here, and the object, the, the fruit becomes, you can call this a sacred object. It's this thing. It's the pursuit of this. Now it has a special significance, this special thing attached to it because of the prohibition. The blockage can actually intensify Adam's desire for it. We see this in parenting, right? You can play with all the toys here, but you cannot play with this one toy. So what does the kid want to do? The prohibition increases his desire, his or her desire, right? Here's another way to think of this, too. Okay, so this is great. It's it's the parable of the three kicks. I I hope you'll enjoy this. So a wealthy judge who, while on vacation, went duck hunting. Halfway through the day, he shot a bird out of the air, and it dropped into a farmer's field a few hundred yards away. As the judge climbed over, began to climb over the fence, an old farmer drove up on his tractor and saw what was happening what are you doing there sir says the old farmer well I just shot a duck and it fell in this field I am going to go retrieve it well now this here is my property and that would be trespassing be careful he shouted uh, shouted the wealthy and powerful judge I'm a powerful man and I will make your life miserable if you don't let me get that duck the farmer considered what he had said, apparently, you don't I don't know why I have the southern okay you don't you don't know how we do things in these parts. We settle disagreements with a thing we call the three kick rule. What's the three kick rule? asked the judge. Well, first, I kick you three times and then you kick me three times, and so on and so forth until someone gives up. The judge looked at the farmer sized him up, and decided, I could easily take this old man. Okay, he said, let's do it. The judge looked at the farmer, I already said that, I lost my place, let's do this. The farmer slowly got out of his tractor, walked up to the judge, and did a few stretching exercises, getting ready, getting ready. Then he planted his first kick right into the shin of the judge, and he dropped to the ground in, in pain, The second kick was actually upside of his head, and it almost knocked him out. The judge was in agony, and the third kick was right into the side of his ribs. The judge kept his resolve, knowing that his turn was coming up next. The judge summoned every bit of strength and managed to get back up to his feet, said, okay, now it's my turn. But the old farmer simply replied, nah, I give up. You can can have your duck. This serves as an example on how the prohibition, you cannot go get that duck, creates an obsessive attachment to the duck. This prohibition only increases his desire to get what is his sacred object. When the prohibition is removed, when he says, nah, I give up, you can have it, it is at that point that the judge is confronted with how absurd his attachment is suffered all of that that was a little absurd i could have just right so if you're a visual learner this may help so we have adam in the garden adam a desire to drive to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil but god has said no you shall not eat you shall not eat so for adam the prohibition makes um an even ordinary object the fruit appear sacred Thus, assigning to it some power to bring satisfaction and fulfillment. This for Adam creates a lack. It creates a lack. A deep sense that something missing, there is something missing in his life, and it is this piece of fruit. A lack that needs to be filled. So we pause here and consider this question before we move. I wonder what sacred objects I'm pursuing for satisfaction and fulfillment. What are the sacred objects I'm pursuing for satisfaction and fulfillment in my attempt to make up for the lack that I sense in my life? Our sacred objects may be wealth, fame, a certain relationship, an award, an achievement, a title. What's the sacred object? Thinking that if only I could reach or attain that, then fulfillment would be possible. So as the story goes, we know that Adam and Eve do partake of this ordinary piece of fruit that is made sacred. Significance is attached to it. And what many have termed the fall, this is the fall, right? And the fall happens when there is an obsessive power that the sacred ho- object holds over us because of the prohibition. It enslaves us, it enslaves us To an unhealthy obsession for it. I have got to get that apple. I have got to get it. So, we know that the fall happens. This lack often leads us to sin. This lack that we sense. Sins are the things that we do in pursuit of what we deemed to be sacred. In Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I had first seen this diagram, this uh, way of understanding, when I was in uh, college at University of Northern Iowa. Uh, it's called, um, uh, the navigators use it, it's called one verse evangelism. Okay. And there's there's nothing wrong with it. And then so we have the wages of sin is death on one side, but the gift of God. And then how do we get to the other side? Well, it's Jesus. Raise your hand if you've seen this something like this before. Anyone? Okay. Um, uh, However, in the Bible, it when the Bible talks about death, it often talks about death not as the end of life, where, where where someone stops breathing but the kind of death that people experience while living. You know the phrase, that, well, that, that would be the death of me, right? But you're actually still living? There's a way to understand death scripturally, that it's not actually when you take your last breath. It's experiencing a death in this life now. This living death, if you will, is the suffering that comes from obsessively desiring something that we think will fill our lack. And our steps to attain that. That's the suffering. Also seeking to squash our desires, to rid, our, to rid ourselves of desire, which produces a death like state of being. If you have no desires, you're dead. Adam and Eve experiencing this kind of death while being alive because they took a bite of this fruit and they didn't kill over but they experienced a death while living. So we all know and understand this Adam and Eve story. This is very real to us. The sacred object in our lives also needs to disappear. And here is where we have the second move of the magic trick, the turn, the disappearance, which I did not do so well a second ago. This is the second part. The turn is the crucifixion. The turn is the crucifixion. Before we get to the cross, we need to consider the temple and its structure, okay? So here we have the temple. We have, uh, you have the outer court where people are free to go about. That's where they bring their offerings and sacrifices. Anybody could be there, okay? Also called the court of the Gentiles, all right? Public place, a smaller area reserved for just the priest on duty, the holy place, okay? And then the holy of holies, a room that's hidden, by a large curtain that could only be entered on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. Well, what is this curtain? It's a prohibition, it's a barrier. The curtain, the veil, creates a sense that something amazing lies on the other side. The sacred object is believed to dwell just beyond the curtain, out of our reach. Graph two. Next, next slide here. So, same picture, just different title. Court of Gentiles, desire drive for the holy of holies, the sacred. But we have the temple curtain, the prohibition. All right? So, here we have the turn. It says this when it comes to Jesus' death in Luke 23. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he had breathed his last. So again, the turn of the magic trick is the crucifixion. The point in, that, in, in the magic where the curtain, the barrier, the prohibition is removed, and in this case, the crucifixion, the temple veil, the temple curtain is removed to reveal what exactly? An empty space where God or the sacred object was previously thought to dwell. temple curtain was torn from top to bottom to reveal what? An empty room. Now go with me on this. Go with me. I need you to come along. Shower me with a grace. Okay? All right. Could it be that the people, the audience, the court, of, the court of Gentiles, falsely believed that the pledge, the sacred object, was behind the curtain? Had they come to believe that the answer to their lack lies behind the prohibition? The torn curtain revealed an empty space. The sacred object isn't there. It's here that I want to talk about Isaiah. This is found in Acts 7, but uh, quoting Isaiah, the prophet. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophets say, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? In the truth of Acts 17, when Paul is in Athens, the next slide, he says this. The Lord has made the world and everything in it. Uh, Sorry. The Lord who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Does not what? Does not live in temples. Built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So might we, as a gathered church here this morning, begin to see the empty room for what it is. The removal of the veil, the removal of the curtain, the prohibition, doesn't expose anything on the other side but rather it exposes a traumatic absence. With this turn, the crucifixion, the the, the curtain is torn, God has vanished, and we, like Christ, experience what Jesus experienced on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We thought the sacred existed on the other side of the curtain. When we experience this loss of the sacred object because of the removal of the prohibition in the crucifixion, we can now enter the Holy of Holies and discover that it's the same as this side. With this nuance, this different perspective, instead of... um, the hope of being saved by the sacred object, we can experience a salvation from the sacred object. And this leads us to a new kind of freedom. Because we are freed from the idea that there is something behind the curtain that will fill our lack. We are free from that. And now we move to the prestige, the reappearance. It is here that we witness the dramatic reappearance. The coin, the rabbit, the sacred object is brought back, however, in a slightly different form. And what is it that has returned? We regain the sacred, not as an object on the other side of the curtain, but rather we receive the sacred in a different form. We receive the sacred. Again, the return, what returns is the spirit of presence that consumes our reality. With the Spirit's help, we experience a new depth in all of life, on this side of the curtain. With the turn, the crucifixion, the veil is torn, the, pro- the prohibition is removed, and we experience the removal of the sacred and secular divide even though this may have been the reality the whole time. As a result, our desires, which previously pulled us away from this world to behind the curtain, the other side of the curtain, it now pulls us, what, deeper into this world. Imagine with me, if you will, that those who believed that the sacred existed only on the other side of that curtain in the temple, imagine the loss that they would have felt when after accessing, uh, 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 being able to go into the Holy of Holies, it was indeed no different than what they had on this side of the curtain. The good news here, my friends, is that this loss actually holds a great gain for us, a profound gain. For the resurrection testifies to the prestige, the reappearance. When the sacred is revealed in the world and is discovered in the lived, the embodied, the incarnational experience of when we love and care for the world, The loss would seem like a failure. The room is empty, but it's in that moment that new realities and new ways of being in the world become possible. You see what is possible now, don't you? Well, it's the invitation to the reality that God is with you on this side of the curtain. God is with you on this side of the prohibition, whatever that may be, and that God is present with you in the here and now by his spirit. So there's no need for striving. There's no need for pursuing whatever the sacred object might be. And it's here, as we conclude, that we go back to love, the scripture text of love that Kristen read earlier. Dear friends, let us not love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. There is, uh, uh, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The ways that we seek to fill the lack. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, well, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. I like how Peter Rawlins says it, for God, uh, think, considering God as love expresses the idea that the sacred is not found in a distant object toward which we focus our love but rather is testified to in the act of loving itself. The sacred object has disappeared and what we gain is divine presence. God's presence is experienced in our love for one another this is the invitation. When we care for our neighbor, God is present. When we listen to the one whose spouse just announced that they were leaving, God is present. When we visit those in prison, God is present. When we hand food to those who are hungry, God is present. When we exchange table fellowship with the other, when we decide to recycle and pay attention to creation care, when we engage in practices that that tend to our own souls, when we care for the elderly, the widow, the orphan, when we offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us, God is presence. All of this is love, and God is what? God is love. So where we have love, we have God. Where there's love, the experience of God draws us deeper uh, into wonder and awe. And we will end here before communion. I want to talk about idols and icons. Idols and icons. An idol is an object of extreme devotion. An idol is that sacred thing behind the curtain, the idol. It draws our love and attention away from this world to the other side. The, an icon is a sign, such as a word or a graphic symbol, whose form suggests its deeper meaning. The turn in the prestige the crucifixion and the resurrection is the disappearance of the idol and the appearance of the icon the idol the thing that we think that can fill our lack that's the idol but the icon the icon brothers and sisters is a way of holding something that draws us into an experience of wonder and awe the experience of the crucifixion the disappearance of the idol so that we might encounter resurrection in which our world or parts of our world is opened up as iconic. And it points to a deeper reality. So back to Peter Rollins for a final quote. When uh, when we are caught up in idolatry, we focus on some special uh, object that makes everything else in the world seem mundane. In contrast, the iconic way of being helps us experience the mundane as infused with special significance. In theological terms, this is the idea of God in the midst of this life. This life. The events of the death and resurrection is testified to in a life that has been freed from idolatrous existence that turns us from the world to an iconic engagement with the world. That's a lot. It's a lot. Um, just invite you to hold it this morning, see if it may spark, encourage, challenge. Do we have sacred objects that we are in pursuit of? So as we turn to the communion table then, again, we have the pledge of the bread and the cup. That's the pledge. That's the object. And we have the disappearance of that object as in its consumption. And then may it reappear to the world. So uh, our communion folks can come forward. So here's the presentation of the bread and the cup, which will stand in for our sacred object this morning. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I have received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the sacred object of the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we have the sacred objects of the bread and the cup. And also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it it says this. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. have the sacred objects that we'll partake in this morning. It will disappear in its consumption, and then may it reappear in your lives this week in the form of love, which brings God's presence to all. Uh, A little instruction this morning, we are going to come forward for communion, you will take the bread, Uh, regular bread will be here in this aisle, over here we will have gluten-free option here, okay, and then Mark will, uh, if you want uh, communion served to you at your pew, just raise your hand, and Mark will come find you with that, and so when you come forward, you will take, you receive the body, you will come then over to the side, and you will dip it into the cup, and then take it, and then return to your seat, so um, so Sue will play uh, during this, and uh, all are invited uh, to the table. Board. thank